Amen. We serve a faithful God, and I'm thankful for that. Second uh, Kings chapter 7 in your Bibles tonight. Second Kings chapter 7. And as you find your place there, let's stand together. We're going to read just a few verses here. We're going to look at a lot of chapter 6, a lot of chapter 7. We're just going to read about 6, 7 verses here, beginning in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 7. It says, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent, and carried thence also, and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to be in church tonight. Let us thank you, Lord, for your presence. God, I thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, how you speak to us. God, I pray tonight as we're looking at your word, God, that our hearts will be ready and receptive to whatever truths you have for us from it. God, that you be with me as I preach. Just work in our hearts, use our church, Lord, to reach the area and have an impact on the world with the gospel. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Around 15 years ago, there was this campaign on television that some of you might remember as I begin to describe it, but I remember these inspirational stories that were told in just a 30-second slot on TV, and I remember this, this one instance where it looked like there was a, a nuclear disaster about to happen at a nuclear power plant, and there was this man there that very calmly and assuredly took control, and things turned out okay, and come to find out this man wasn't a scientist. He was just a visitor there for the day. I remember another one. There was a, a man flying a helicopter, and this man flying the helicopter was, uh, it was, it was a little, there was a little bit of turbulence there, and, and these people were impressed with his flying skills, and come to find out this man had never flied a helicopter in his life, never, never even had a, a flying lesson in his life. He was able to do something great. I remember another man in the middle of a heart transplant, and the blood pressure of an individual is going down, this, this man calmly solved the problem, and Come to find out, as he took his mask off, the nurse looked at him, and they, they said, wait a minute, you're not the doctor. And he said, no, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. You guys remember those commercials? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> those are people that should not have been able to do what they did. And really, we know it's fake. They weren't really able to do what they did. But we see people that were unqualified, 
in this fictional story doing something what many would call impossible for someone uneducated to be able to do. And we look here in 2 Kings chapter 7, and we find four men that to everyone in the eyes of the city should not have been able to make any kind of a difference. They were cast outs. The people were finished with them. But God used these four men to save a whole city just because they did what no one else was willing to do at that point. And as we look at this story here in 2 Kings, we find a position of, of the, the whole community in, in, in this place. There was a famine in the land. And if we were to look back in chapter 6, we would find a, a, an incredible story here. The king of Syria, if you were to look at the beginning of, of chapter 6, wanted to take control of the Israelites. He wanted to continue to build his empire. And he, he really didn't just want the Israelites. He wanted Elisha. He wanted the life of Elisha. He wanted to end what the prophet was doing. And we understand Elisha, through the power of God in, in this chapter, was, was, told, was told by God. And he went to the king of Israel and said that the, the, the Syrians were coming for them. And the Syrians were going to take them out. And the, the king of Syria thought Elisha was a spy. He tried to capture him because there's no way he understood his secrets. He was trying to figure out how he knew all these things. And after several attempts, failed. And, and we look in verse 24, chapter 6, and it, and it says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. That word besieged there means to cramp out, to choke them out, to surround them, allowing no one to leave, no one to enter. And after a while, if you were to surround a city in that way, especially a city like Samaria, they would eventually run out of supplies, and that's exactly what happened. A great famine came to Samaria. No one in, no one out. And it was so bad, as, as we read here in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, that we would see they were paying incredible amounts of money to eat horrible meals. Eighty pieces of silver they were paying to have the head of a donkey to eat. Five pieces of silver for the dung of doves. That's pretty bad. Things continue to get worse, and we find two women in chapter 6 that were uh, having an argument, having a fight because they made a deal with each other. They were so hungry that they said, we will eat my son today and we'll eat yours tomorrow. And when it came to the second day, the woman had hid her son. And as these things were brought to the king of Syria, to, he, he was disappointed in, in what was going on, and he was upset about the great famine that had come to the land. He couldn't believe that the God of Elisha, the God of the Israelites, was allowing this to happen. And the city was truly incapable of providing life. I don't, I don't think that it would take too much work on any of our parts tonight to look around and see there's a great famine in our country. It's a great famine in the land that we live in, and it's not for food. It's not for water, but for righteousness. We look at the world we live in, sin is rampant. Things are continuing to grow worse and worse. And we look at all the things people were doing, all the things people were paying money for, all the arguments of just the wild scene that was happening here. People were losing their minds here in 2 Kings chapter 6, but we look at the world we live in and people are losing their minds. Things, things that, we, that we would have never fathomed people would be talking about or arguing over or problems that we would run into. Things that make no sense to, to people that are looking to the word of God with the, and with, the, with the mind of God making decisions in the world that we live in. 
things we would have not even entertained or, or heard speak about 30, 30 years ago. There's things that are acceptable now that, that couldn't have even been spoken of not too long ago. And the things that we hear on TV or the things we may read about. Or, there's a great famine in our land. You know, the, the famine not only caused the king of Samaria to be mad at God and upset with Elisha. But he also wanted the life of Elisha. He became, he became so far gone here. So blinded that he was blaming all of this on God and all of this on the prophet that God had sent them. And there's not just a famine in our land, but the things of God, the people of God are under attack as well. You know, God, the word of God isn't respected as it once was, is it? It's not paid attention to. It's, it's a book of suggestions to many. I can think back and all the different attacks that have been on the church over the last decade. Remember seven, eight years ago, we were all shocked when the political leadership in Houston, Texas was demanding the sermons of pastors be handed in so they could read them and see what was being talked about. Think of many different instances from that moment that we were shocked about that the same thing has been tried. We look back three years with the coronavirus and, and the arguments over what was essential, what was not, and what, the, what many different governments are trying to do to shut down churches, to keep them from meeting for a certain time under just the, the, the realm of safety. Then we look at our country and we look at the, the, problems, the problems that are coming and the, the, the different arguments, the different fights, the different debates that may, go, may be going on. And when bad things happen, God is blamed many times. And we, see a, we see a famine in the land that we live in. And we look here in 2 Kings chapter 6 and we find an, an incredible famine recorded here in the history of the world. But as we look at this famine and we look at all these different things that happen in the midst of famine... God had a plan. Now, God was not done with the Israelites in the book of 2 Kings. There's a lot of things to happen beyond this. The messenger of the king came to Elisha and he says to Elisha, God has brought all this evil on us. God has brought it. And we have to do something there at the end of chapter 6. He's telling him we have to do something about it. We, it needs to stop now. And if we need to take your life, if, 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 if the life of Elisha is what will fix this, we're going to do it. And we have to do something to make this stop. And he asked this question. Look at the very end of, of, of chapter 6 there in verse 33. Behold, the evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? We're tired of waiting. God wasn't doing what they expected him to do. Why should we wait any longer? And we look at the situation they were in, the impatient minds that they had. We look at women fighting over eating their own children. We look at the horrible things they were eating to just stay alive. All of the problems we don't read about that were obviously there. And we look here in verse 1, and here's the answer Elisha gave the messenger. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Elisha tells them, I know that right now you are paying incredible amounts of money for some horrible things, but in 24 hours everything is going to be different. 
Remember how much they were paying? 80 pieces of silver for a head of a donkey. Five pieces of silver for, for bird poop. But in one day, they're going to be paying pennies for all the flour they could need. Pennies for barley. He goes, I, I know it, it looks like there's no end in sight. I know right now you don't see any way out. I know you don't think anything good is going to happen. But in 24 hours, God's going to do something. You know, God is not done with this world. He's not done with Midland, Texas. He's not done with Odessa. He's not done with the Permian Basin. He's not done with the United States. And it's easy for us to get caught up in all the, the horrible mindsets, all the terrible things happening, all the bad things that may have happened to, to us or people we care about. It's easy for us to look at the educational system and to look at the, the, the people that are running the country that we live in and think, you know what, maybe it is over. It's not too much longer before we're not, before just the work of God isn't going to be able to continue. And we look at our world and we see the rumors of wars, all the different things going on. And we think, you know what, maybe there's not a whole lot of time left. There's not a whole lot that God is going to do. But we need to remember, just like God had a plan here, God has a plan for us now. But sadly, so many Christians are, are really have this mindset that this messenger had. Look at his response there in verse 2. Then a Lord on whose, whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven... Might this thing be? He's, he's basically saying what? Is God, God just going to open up the windows of heaven and give us everything we need? You know, it's funny to me as I read that is it wasn't but just a few hundred years before that God did just that, didn't he? <laughs> For his own people. Manna came down. When they got tired of that, God provided meat in many different ways. But he's saying, yeah, that'll take a miracle. You see where we are. You're saying in one day things are going to be different. And so often in our Christian life, in the life of our church, in our, in our ministry, and the things that we do for God, we have that same mindset, don't we? We think about those people that may need to be reached. We think about the countries around the world that are struggling. And, and, and we want God to do something, but in our mind we think, you know what? I take a miracle. Only if God would open up the windows of heaven could something good happen here. Only, only if God did something miraculous could, could my coworker be reached or could my family member come to Christ or could this person uh, repent of, of, their, uh, of their backslidden state from God and come back to the church. Only with a miracle could that happen. But our God is capable. And, and we look here at this horrible situation they were in. We see the answer of the prophet... And we also have the rest of the story. When God was about to do something incredible for the Israelites. And I love who he chose to do. As we look at the world we live in, God has a plan. The people were saved because of his ministry. Charles Spurgeon, we know much about him. We know he's very eloquent. I think many of us have probably read uh, things that he had said or, or sermons that he had written. Charles Spurgeon heard of all that D.L. Moody was doing and he was excited to have him in. He brought him out to England to preach to his church. And as he heard him preach, he was sitting there baffled because he could not believe how bad of a speaker D.L. Moody was. 
You know, Charles Spurgeon had this great vocabulary and was this great communicator. And D.L. Moody comes and he was stumbling all over himself. There's nothing oppressive about his delivery. The things he was saying were not, didn't sound like he was an extremely smart man. But as the message ended, the pews were empty and people were at the altar and people were getting saved. People were giving their life to Christ. And Spurgeon at that moment realized it wasn't about the man. It was about those that are obedient to the God who is capable of using them. And as we look in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 80, he had this verse marked in his Bible. It says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And next to that verse in his Bible, D.O. Moody wrote this. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. That's the mindset God needs of us. That's what every Christian needs to realize is we have a job to do. We're not going to change the world by ourselves, but we can make a difference in one. And we look at these lepers. Nothing good was going to happen if they stayed. So they took a step toward the camp of the Syrians. And we look here in verse 5 of, of our text here, 2 Kings chapter 7, and it says, And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. It's not what they expected. The Syrians had been camped and they had cramped out the city of Samaria and for, for months at this point they had been there. They had heard them, they had heard them, them practicing their, their craft and, 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 and doing all the things soldiers would do not too far from there. But as these lepers arrived at the camp of the Syrians where they'd heard all the ruckus going on, all the things going on, they arrived to the camp where there should have been hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers and it was completely empty. No one is there. Look at verse 6, verse 5, excuse me. And they rose up in the twilight, excuse me, verse 6. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of great host. And they said one to another, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilights and left their tents, their horses, their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. So the Syrians the night before had heard all kinds of enemies coming their way to defeat them. And they got up and they read, and commentators believe that they ran over 20 miles to get to where it felt safe. It wasn't the Israelites. It wasn't the Hittites. It wasn't the Egyptians. It was God causing them to hear those things and to leave. To a point to where they, they left everything they had and got as far away from that camp as they could because they felt they had no time. What a reminder of what God can do with nothing. And, and, and these lepers arrived there in, into this camp. And I like to imagine in the distance they smelt a warm roast beef that had just been resting there in the oven or in the crock pot. They go into the tent, they find that. They went into another one and they found a, a fresh bucket of KFC on the table. 
some fried okra and some mashed potatoes, some cornbread. Not the sweet kind, the, the, nor, the, the normal kind, the bland cornbread. The next tent, they went and they found a blackberry cobbler, still warm, ice cream in the freezer, all the food they could ever want. What an incredible picture that is of what God did for us. You know, we were starving without Jesus. No hope. And he set the table for us. Everything's prepared. The work is done. All we had to do is eat. And that same thing is available for anyone that, that wants it. And I feel if the story stopped there, that's enough. It's a pretty happy ending. These men took a great step of faith, a great leap in their life. They, they took a risk, and God blessed them for it. But that's not where it stops. They, they found all the food they could want. They found food to, to help them in their state of hunger. Because you imagine how, what these lepers looked like, what they were wearing. They went to 110 and they found the shoes that they had needed. They found clean clothes. They found gold. They found riches. They found livestock. They had possessions that they had not ever had in their life. You know, all those lepers needed was food. All we need is salvation. But God has done so much beyond that for each and every one of us. Blessing after blessing. I'm thankful tonight we have a church that we can worship freely in. I'm thankful tonight that we have the word of God in our possession. Not the words of wise men. The word of our creator God. He has left this for us. I'm thankful tonight that God has blessed me with family. And, and, and blessed my family to a point. I have, I have three of my children that are saved. I love hearing my, my children, this, I love thinking of the thought this morning of the kids there and, and junior church having fun together and singing songs and learning about Jesus. It's a wonderful thing knowing people you care about are saved. Every possession you have is not because of you, it's because of God. Understanding the promises in the word of God that God is going to work all things out for our good to them who are the called according to his purpose, understand that he will never leave us nor forsake us, understanding that there is nothing anyone could ever do for us to lose our salvation. The peace of God. All the things that so often we take for granted are things we do not deserve. All these things beyond salvation, all the blessings we have in our life. And I can imagine these lepers as they, as they arrive there in the camp of the Syrians and seeing, seeing that food and then seeing beyond that. And for the first time in, in maybe years, they had clean clothes on their back. They were, they were holding money in their hands that they could do so many things with they, they had not been able to do. Do you remember where you came from? Can, can you remember life before salvation? Or maybe tonight you could think of someone that you know. Someone you may have gone to school with, maybe a sibling that you have. 
someone that had the same upbringing. And you look at your life and you look at the joy you have in your God and you may look at them and what they have without him. The difference God has made. Are we thankful for that? Trying to imagine my life without God. When's the last time you thought about where you would be without him? But also what you have because of him. These men came across things they never expected they would ever find. And, and what they found was, was more than they could ever need. And, and we look at these men. I can imagine the, the party that was going on with them. The good time they were having. They went from tent to tent. They grabbed everything they could. Maybe, maybe they're, they're standing up and showing each other what, 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 new outfit, what new outfit they had and all the gold, all the things, the new possessions they had, the nice pair of shoes. Standing there while they have a turkey leg in their hand. I don't know what they were doing. But we find them as they were taking all these things for themselves, they, they come to this point in verse 9 and it says, Then they said one to another, We do not well. This is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. As they were there recognizing all they had, they realized just a little bit of a walk away from them, there was a city of people that were going to die before too long if something didn't change. There was a city of people whose destination did not look too great. And they said, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. These men came to realization that they had more than enough to share. There was more than enough to go around. And the blessings that they experienced were blessings that the people inside the gates of Samaria, the people that were losing their minds, the people that were without hope, could be greatly affected by. And they made an unselfish decision. You know, these men could have held everything for themselves and been all right. But they said, we do not well. As we're aware of what we have in Christ, salvation, and all the blessings, we do not well if we do not tell. Are we sharing it as we should? You know, there's this young man in 1998 named Christopher Searcy. He's playing basketball there in the inner city with some friends. And as he's playing basketball there in the city, a drive-by shooting happened. He was shot, and the bullet pierced his heart, and his friends quickly grabbed him. The hospital was just a block away, and they carried him there outside of Ravenswood Medical Hospital. And as they got to the, the, out, the outside of the hospital, they are just, just outside the entrance of the hospital, Christopher collapsed and his friends panicked and they ran inside and they, they told the doctors, they told the nurses, everyone there in the emergency room that their friend had been shot, he was out there dying. And, and the, the hospital workers, the people there at the desk said, we cannot come help him, we cannot assist him unless he's inside the hospital, that's a hospital policy. 
And they're there begging these people, and some police officers nearby heard what was going on, and they went and they grabbed a gurney, frustrated that the hospital workers weren't coming out to, to help them. And they, they put this young man on the gurney and, and got him in, but it was too late, and he died. You know, we hear that story, and it's, it's a pretty sad one. It's a, that's a sad situation, and, and we think about that policy the hospital had, and, 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 and what would have been different if somebody would have just come out and helped him. But how many times does it take someone to come in the doors of the church for us to share the gospel with them? Or for someone to bring it up to us for us to tell them what we believe? How many people are living today without the gospel just because we haven't gone outside our comfort zone? what is normal for us, and shared what God has done for us. People at work, our neighbors, our family. We look at our world, our world needs the gospel. The decision these lepers made was an unselfish one. It was an active one. You know, they didn't just have intentions, they went. If we continue reading in the story, we see they, they immediately went, they were afraid to wait until the morning, they didn't know what was going to happen. They left immediately and told people. We need to go out. There may be someone in your life that you just need to share the gospel with. Maybe someone in your life you need to invite to church or, or send that text to or call. Are we doing that? And we, look, we look at the, the world that we live in and the great need there is for God, not just in America, but in every, every part of the world. And I'm thankful for our church, and, and we know our church, 10% of our, our giving goes to missions. I'm thankful for that. But this month, I want us to, to pray about doing more. Not, we're not going to increase any, any sort of percentage, but I want to encourage you to pray about possibly just, just committing to God to give a little bit beyond your tithe to missions, not to the church, not, not, to, not for us to benefit from it, but for us to be able to do more through missions. You know, we, I want us to, to be a church focused on, on the person next door and the person across the street, the person we work with, the person at the grocery store, but I also want us to, to be a church that is, is burdened for everyone in the world to hear what we have. Are we thinking about it? Are we, are we praying for missionaries, more missionaries to go? Are we giving to missions? Are we passing out tracts as we should? I guess around 60 years ago at this point, there was two young couples in Indi- Indianapolis, Indiana. One of them was named Carl and Nancy. They were newly married, and uh, aunt and uncle had gone to uh, the church, and they had uh, had a church route at this, this church. They had a bus, and they picked up their oldest daughter. She was saved, and then eventually Carl and Nancy were saved. Their children got in church. There's another family named Norm and Pat. There was this young couple that, that had been in church there in Indianapolis and really just, out, just in southern Indiana there, but they had moved to Indianapolis for work and they had doubts about salvation. They visited a church and two men from the church there went and, and met with them one evening at their house and they got things settled and they got in church and their kids got in church. Carl and Nancy's daughter and Norman Pat's son, they, they met each other as young teenagers. They fell in love and they're my wife's parents. 
All three of their children were, were, grew up there in, at, in church in Indianapolis. And, and I, met, I met my wife in Oklahoma, and we have kids that have heard the gospel. It all happened because there were people that went out of their comfort zone to either invite someone, to pick up a kid, to, to hand out a tract, to, to care enough about someone to ask them about their soul. And generations were impacted because of it. I want to ask you tonight, if, is there uh, anyone in here that was reached by a church invite or a track? Anybody at all? Did anybody start going to church because of, because of one of those? Yeah, it's, it's Brenda. Jenny. What about a family member that may have invited you along? Anybody like that? Anybody? Can I see a hand? A couple there. What about a friend that may have invited you? Anybody like that? There's several people in here tonight that would not be here if someone didn't invite them. If someone didn't realize the blessings they had in God and cared enough to, to take it to someone else. I, I, I don't, I, there's a fine line here. I don't want to, to be a pastor that is guilt-tripping anybody. And I'm, I pray to the Lord I, I approach these things with the right heart. But we do not well if we do not tell. And if Southwest Baptist Church is known for anything, as long as I'm pastor, I want it to be known for people that care about other people enough to tell them about Jesus and, and, and give so other people can go tell people around the world what God has done for them. The last thing that Jesus said before he left this world was go and tell others. His last command. Let's be a people that make his last command our first priority. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for the day you've given us, for the privilege it is to serve you, Lord.